0: Contemporary, traditional, liturgical, I guess maybe even classical, um, different forms of worship, right? Is your service a contemporary service or a traditional service? I guess it's traditional if you do it long enough. Then it starts applying, right? Yeah, it's what our tradition usually is. We, but uh, you know, we went through this thing of contemporary, traditional, and it describes worship. Now, I, I, that might more describe the style of music, but it doesn't necessarily qualify worship because worship is a is an entity in and of itself. And I want to share a little bit about authentic worship this evening. Um, Jesus labeled it a little different when he's talking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. I'm going to read a little bit from John 4 and Luke 4 and from the Psalms. Psalm 100, Psalm 100, the 103rd Psalm. And there's a really neat passage from Philippians. I tell you, I went through the entire book of Colossians this morning. And that book just wrecks me. I'm telling you. I get through it and I was like, man. I thought I I know the Bible until it's just like the awe of some of those things that Paul is writing to them about just overwhelms me. And, uh, of course, you know, it's kind of like, Romans is my favorite book. I I just think Romans is a strategic book. Let's put it that way. Because I can just camp at Colossians 1 and 2. I can just stay at Philippians 2 or Philippians 4. There's just so many neat places for you to just stop and try to, like a sponge, soak in. Just an incredible revelation that Paul is trying to get these these churches to understand the magnitude of who God is and how he's working in their lives. Um, and Jesus has this conversation. You're very familiar with it in John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman. It's a Samaritan town. It's a well outside of town where they came for water. And uh, <clears throat> you know that conversation. But the conversation started focusing on worship of all things. And Jesus didn't even bring it up; It was the woman that brought it up and and when she realized there was something there, prophetic, she resorted back to her security and her security was that she was she was a worshiper, she qualified, and she said, "We worship on this mountain. Samaria was a second um arena of worship when the two nations the ten nations broke apart and And uh, they really got into problems because they were outside the temple. So they kind of developed their own worship and a mixture of worship. And and, um, she said, well, we worship on this mountain. And and the Lord said, well, you really don't know what you're worshiping. (laughs) Because salvation is from the Jews. And it doesn't really matter what mountain you worship on. He said, we got a mountain called Mount Zion. You've got a mountain that you say is your worship mountain. But that's really not worship. That's not what worship is about. Location. That's what he was saying. Location is not the issue. What he said was this. This is John 4, verse 23. I, I titled this authentic worship, but this is the way the Lord put it. A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers, now, I guess that means there can be fake worshipers or false worshipers, true worshipers, authentic worshipers. It is now for those true worshipers to worship the Father this way, in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Not only are they authentic true worshipers, this is what God looks for. God is not just looking for it. He's seeking people to do that. Do you know he's still doing that? He's still seeking people who won't put an adjective in front of their worship. they just, just worship. You know, not, not the style, not, not a classification. And he says, God is spirit, and his worshipers have to step into that dimension, and it's not location. She is all about location. He says, it's not about that. He said, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And I think that kind of reflects on authentic worship. So we're going to take a little bit of a look at worship. What is it? How would you define worship just as a word, as a definition? Adoration, praise. Is praise worship? Can be is a good answer. Doesn't necessarily mean worship. What else? We have adoration. Someone else. Reverence. Extol and kind of elaborate on that. What? How do you extol something? Give value. Give worth to. It's having a sense of value and worth and awe. People only worship that which they highly value. Where... It it commands a different disposition of the heart, a disposition of the mind, of giving or yielding. We'll touch on that a little bit later on. I, I want you to think about how important worship is just by the start of Jesus' ministry. How did Jesus start his ministry? It's not a trick question. Did you say fasting? He got baptized. And after he got baptized, he went to the desert. Forty days before he preached his first sermon, before he performed his first miracle, taught his first lesson, chose his first disciple. The first thing he did was go into an isolation mode. And really, he didn't really do this on his own. Um, I think Luke even defines that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that came up on him after he came up by the water, drove him, like powered him, not like I've you know the word is not like he sensed the need to go up into the mountain. It was like he was pressed to go into this isolation place with no water, no food for forty days. And we and they went at it. That this was a forty-day struggle. It's not just at the end of forty days the devil came to tempt him. The two records of this shows that this was a forty days of intense spiritual struggle. That the enemy was testing him, coming after him. But we have some specifics at the end of that forty days as to how Satan was trying to maneuver in any way to take the lord off the course of what the father wanted for him and the first thing was go for the flesh go for you know he's 40 days by food you know you you're you have power you can turn these rocks into bread you can feed yourself here right here in this place all you have to do is tell these rocks to become bread and of course what jesus said is that you can't live on bread alone but by, how would you live but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He was already saying, I'm not here to fulfill a physical mission. I'm here to fulfill the mission spoken of by my father. So that was his retort. And again, he always referenced a scripture. The second one is kind of really interesting. And I think this is what shows how valuable worship is to us. It's because Satan values it. And he showed Jesus all of the, you know, look out there, all of that. First of all, it wasn't his. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The devil doesn't own anything. He's a thief (laughs) or he's a deceiver. He tries to make people think. But he he claimed that that was all his domain and that he would give it all to the Lord if he just do one thing. Bow down and worship me. You can have it all. And here's what he was throwing at the Lord. You don't have to pick 12 men. There's going to be problems all the time. Train them to be abandoned by them, to be arrested, to be tortured, to be crucified, and be left all alone and wait to be raised from the dead. You You don't have to do any of that. You can just take this shortcut right here. All you have to do is... Worship. Now you remember what Jesus said. He comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. He references it and he says, You're to worship only God. It is written, Worship only God and serve Him only. He is the sole one deserving of worship. But it shows you that in this encounter, Why you may understand why sometimes it's hard for you to press through and worship. Because that's the last thing the enemy wants us to do is to worship. And, And look at the other side. God is seeking this kind of worship. And here is the enemy trying to prevent this kind of worship. And trying to take worship that's rightfully God's for himself. Of course, his pride is what got him into all that trouble. So this, the enemy wants Worship. This is this is what he wanted when he rebelled against his own creator. Um, and Jesus makes reference in Deuteronomy six is which is Deuteronomy five is the restatement of the uh, Ten Commandments. And the second commandment is, "Thou shalt not make any graven image uh, of anything, any replication, and you are not to bow down and worship it. You have no other gods before you." Says and don't substitute an idol for what actually belongs to God. So Deuteronomy is that the Lord is one and the Lord is to be your God and you're supposed to follow him completely. So what is worship? Um, We usually call that the first part of our service. This is preaching. We just got finished with worship. So y'all can turn off your worship. No, not really. (laughs) We're still putting high value on God. You know, when I was growing up in church, it's kind of interesting, the different cultures. Sunday school was the big deal. You might not realize this, but the Sunday school attendance was more than the worship attendance. Because it seemed like there was a greater value in learning the Bible. And it it wasn't all that uncommon for us to come out and people go to their cars and go home. After Sunday school, now it's like, this kind of flipped. We may value the time in the sanctuary of worshiping more than we do a Bible study. But both of those are parts of our worship. Is giving value to the Word of God. In fact, I really think God wants us to live as worshipers. And not have a time of worship. But to be defined by one who worships by giving value to what he gives value to. Husband and wives that are in good relationship, I think that's a sweet savor to God. I think, I think that's worship to him is when we're biblically related to the people around us and walking in the power of the scriptures, I believe God sees that as worship, that you're giving worth to what he gives worth to. Let me take you um, Psalm 103 because uh, there's a difference between worship and praise. Praise can be worship, but it doesn't necessarily mean it is worship. Just define the word praise. It's going to be a little bit easier to come up with words for praise than it is worship. Praise. To laud. Boy, look at you come out with that English language. To laud. When you praise someone, what are you doing? I mean, not just God. If you give, you know, if you give praise to your son or daughter, what are you doing? Now that's, huh? Compliments. Praise is complimentary. It's like you did really well. I get this. The Greek word for uh, bless is eulogy, it's the combination of two words, eu meaning good, and logos meaning word. And it's people who give a good word about someone. It's just sad that it's after they're dead. <laughs> but it's translated many times in the New Testament, bless. Bless the Lord. Um, to bless people is to speak w- something good. So we can, we can bless the Lord by complimenting him and saying good things. But worship is a little different dimension And I don't mean to split hairs here, but I think sometimes we're more comfortable blessing the Lord and and complimenting Him than we are into moving into an authentic time of worship. And, And I hope I can share a little bit about that more clearly. Psalm 103 Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits, his blessings. So you see, praise is more of giving God the the praise for all the things He's done. Worship focuses more on who He is, and not just on what He's done. And here's a verse in Philippians. I want you, I want you to make note of because it's, it's kind of interesting what's cloaked around this because uh, Paul writing this would later say if there's anybody that should be proud of their credentials it's me if there's anybody should take great encouragement for the things we've I've accomplished in the flesh it's me a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he goes through love the tribe of Benjamin. He's, just, he's got all of these credentials. And, and he says, if there's anybody who really would kind of gravitate to that, I have a lot of good things. But listen to what he said. This is Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision, the true people of God. Listen to this. Who worship God in the spirit. We're the ones who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. These two things are juxtaposed. Worship the Lord is opposite to confidence in the flesh. And we might, we might get to some specifics here. Uh, I think for the most part, we we kind of diminish the dynamic, the true authentic worship. In other words, engaging the presence of God, connecting to the person of Jesus in our adoration, when we make it about music, and we make it about style, and we make it about the aesthetics. All of those things are part of, but they're not equal to worship. Worship goes past all that. In fact... You know, I want a, a more cool platform. I, I, I really want to be more cool myself. You know, get get like a Mark Batterson type shirt and wear it. You know, I'm going to have to kind of work out to make it look like Mark Batterson wears it. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm just, I'm too far gone for that, I think. But, uh... You know, it's kind of like now there's a value on and coolness. And, and I understand that. I want that. But that doesn't necessarily make it worship. Because you ought to be able to do this every day. Think about God enjoying true worshipers. He seeks people like that. I think it blesses him when you make Monday a Sunday. And you have your own church service. You have your own worship time. You have your own time talking to God, loving Him, worshiping Him. Coming into His presence, wanting to experience His presence. Become more aware of your presence, Lord. I love great lyrics. And there's there's this, this song, Do It Again, that we, I, I, I guess it's been out for a while, but I heard it for the first time at at camp last week, and I've already I had it blasting when you came into the sanctuary. I' was probably played it 50 times, I don't know. but just some, some things connected with me in that song that it wasn't the song, it was the, the truth within the song. And uh, I love great lyrics, I love great instrumentation to see you know, I love drums being in church. Guitars, keyboards, a trumpet somewhere, or a saxophone. i love to have a saxophone on the platform, a trumpet. Just add, just come on. Let's fill the place up with worship. But that doesn't necessarily mean our souls are being drawn into the presence. It could be just a great concert. We don't want that. And who, who does that depend on whether that happens? Us. Not the people behind the instruments. It's, it's how we respond. You know, I could, I could be blessed. George Beverly Shays in heaven now. I could be blessed by hearing him sing with a head cold like I've got tonight. I could be blessed by that if it connects you to the presence of God. And that's what's more important. Um, Let me take you to Revelation 14 because what's heaven going to be like? I mean, there's all kind of books written on heaven. But what John sees is a celestial city that's enveloped with thunderous praise and worship all the time. Special angels flying about the throne of God that Isaiah had a vision of. And Isaiah declared that he heard these angels. He saw them. He tried to describe them. I mean, he was, he was laboring to describe the awe of them. Had all these descriptions about them. And they were flying around the throne saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the earth is full of your glory. And John sees that in his vision of heaven. So he sees this city of incredible worship and praise. And this is Revelation 14, verse 6. He records this. He said, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God. And give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. In fact, he is seeing and hearing a declaration of what Jesus said to the woman in John 4. Authentic worship, a worship, an adoration, a response to the presence of Of God, his character, his righteousness, his justice, his creative power. He made everything. And this is the foundation of authentic worship. I want to tell you something. Worship is personal. It can be corporate. But it's really neat when it's corporately personal. When everybody in the house gets lost in his presence. I saw that this week. This past week, I saw 270 young people get lost in the presence of the Lord. Why? Because they decided to. They decided to. Psalm 100 Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God, as he that's made us, and we, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. You know, every time I see the word goodness in this song, it's just kind of like evokes this, this sense of that's all God is. God is totally good. I was talking to someone today, this afternoon, who, uh, you know, he was sharing about his mother. His mother's for the first time, has made some kind of reference to wanting to go to church. And for years, all she could tell him was, I've, t- I've done too bad of things. God can't forgive me. You know, he can forgive you and even forgive other people. But I've, and we were just talking. I said, you know, If you see the passion of the Christ and you see these guys just absolutely torture and brutalize Jesus. And after they've impaled him on the cross, he looks out at these people who are not asking for forgiveness. And he looks up to heaven and he says, Father, forgive them. They really don't know what they're doing. If he... Has the capacity to forgive those people. There's not a person on this planet. That he can't forgive. And I said all she needs. Is a revelation of the cross. What he went through. To save us. The praise that you know. You bring his truth. endureth to all generations. Praise is declarative. It's, it's, It's saying something about God. It's focusing on things. But worship. Here's where I want you to think about worship. Worship requires a yielding of your heart to the Lord. You can praise without yielding yourself to God. You can can sing songs. You can just sing songs by memory. You can sing songs in your sleep. But worship is when you want Him to have this. And you willingly give yourself as an instrument. Of worship, worship him in spirit and in truth. And that verse in Philippians 3, 3 is a great verse. And have no confidence in the flesh. You know what that means? Don't have confidence in what you control. In your dimension of control. Brother Strader heard it many times says, you don't need self-confidence, you need confidence in God. And lo and behold, one of those lyrics was confidence my confidence is his faithfulness you're going to have confidence in one or the other you really develop as a worshiper when your confidence is not in your capacity to worship it's in his faithfulness to interact with you it is his faithfulness to come to you little old me little old you you and all the planet of the people that he would come and have fellowship with you And listen to you and take note of you because he has that kind of an intimate walk with us. Isn't that amazing? You know, I think uh, Nora preached on Hannah last week. Is that right? I don't know uh, if she mentioned this about Eli seeing her pray. And uh, he thought she was drunk. And he came and kind of confronted her. So this is just a repeat, right? But I want to make a note here about her. She said, not so, my Lord. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I'm not under the influence of I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. I was pouring out the depth of my heart. You could really say that Hannah at that moment was an authentic worshiper. She didn't have anything to give to God except a provisional promise she made to him. If you give me a son, I will give him back to you. And kind of like a Nazarite vow. And no razor. I guess Samuel had pretty long locks by the time he got delivered over to Eli. I don't know if he cut his hair after that. But she is saying, he's going to be totally yours. And she said this. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. You can worship the Lord in the midst of anguish. How do you do that? Giving yourself. She could have easily told Eli this. I came here to worship God. I came here to empty myself out before him. And simply make myself available to him. If he would bless me with a son, a child. I'd turn around and give him back to him. That's true worship and you know um i think also worship comes from i'll just make this last little note worship worship comes out of revelation again this this afternoon i was talking with someone and is just asking this this young lady about what's your what's your faith journey where did where did you come how did you come to trust the lord cuz i didn't know I, i'm just curious if she really has this confidence that you know she began to share and i i began to share how i came to know jesus at, at the age of 9 i had a life changing encounter with him it wasn't that i joined the church and got baptized it, i had an encounter with the lord and I can honestly say from that day forward, as throughout every day at some point, I thought about him. And I thought about, I want to live my life for you. I want to serve you. I don't want to disappoint you. And, of course, we do stuff like that. But it's this drawing to him. And here's here's the point. And she started crying, like nodding her head. It's okay for us to, to look at the cross and say, Jesus died for the world, but what really changes it when it's you. You see him there for you. You just weren't one of a bunch of people. There was a personal moment when he died for you. And there's nothing like that provokes that kind of emptying of ourselves is to see what he's done for us. And it's kind of like the song, when I think about the Lord, Karen and I was talking about some of the old songs, you know, I was, I heard a song, uh, like a rose trampled on the ground. You know, I, I couldn't remember the last time I heard that. It was on the radio, but we used to sing this song, majesty, worship is majesty under Jesus, be all glory, honor and praise. But I can tell you a lot, I, I've, I've been in a service where people like mannequins were standing like mannequins and I was like and I only realized it because I saw a video from years ago not even near the time we pastored here or in Jackson but way back and I was watching people worship we all look like mannequins song was good I saw that's sad (laughs) we had the style down I was like man I feel bad that we didn't say hey stop it let's start over no lifting hands unless you're really into it. But it is. We can get in the habit of singing and doing in a style, and the style takes over. You just kind of like mindless, go along with it. Well, I don't want that. And I really think what happens is if we can walk in his, in his presence every day, we will never live another day without being a worshiper. Every day we'll be a worshiper. Would you stand with me?